here and then you sing and then all of a sudden you get a little thirsty, uh, but that'll work itself out too. Um, but in this thing we're going to study today is our Lord Jesus' prayer in the garden and how we can learn from it. And uh, we'll read about it in Matthew um, 26, looking at verses, starting in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful. Is that me or? Is it too low or needs to be higher? Thank you. Okay, and he said, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and heavy. And then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful in death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Um, I got a little note, footnote here in my Bible. I use an old Schofield Bible, and I think I'll read the note. I think it's helpful. Uh, can y'all hear me? Okay. Um, different times when he was in the temple and they sought to take him because his time was not yet but he knew now that his time was close and the thing is the fact that he was going to take all of our sin upon himself the agony of the cross the beatings the whipping uh, the plucking of the beard from his face the actual physical beatings that he took 
He knew all about that. But I don't think we really will, until we get to heaven, appreciate what it was like to be the total sinless son of God and to have all of our sin put on him. I mean, you know, we, can you imagine how, it, this is a very small example, but if the police showed up at your door, busted in, and was accusing you of a terrible, heinous crime that you were totally innocent of, and then started dragging you out and the news cameras are out there and they're filming it and everything else. And that's just not even the beginning of the total, to be perfectly holy, never committed sin. And he's God, he's God the son. And yet he was gonna have all of our sins put on him. And then for the first time in eternity, because he was paying our sin debt and our sin was on him, God the Father had to turn his face and not look upon his son and break that communion that had never been broken. And Jesus, knowing that this was coming, that's the cup that he was wanting to pass, but he again prayed the Father's will be done. And so as we look at that, I want us to think about some things. Are you going through any particular trials right now? Anything out there in the world bothering you? There seems to be quite a few things around, I think, all the time. And do you believe that there are probably more to come in the future? Huh? Do you believe there's probably more trials coming? I wish I, you know, when I teach my Sunday school class, some of the younger folks in there, I said, I wish I could tell you that as you get older, life is just like, a, there's no ripples in your pond. You know, it just does, you know. The more pe the older you get, the more people you know, more people depending on you, more people you care about, and because of it, your life becomes more and more complicated as far as, because you're concerned. You, you, you worry about people, you care about other people, and then there are also, there's more demands on you uh, to be the help uh, that maybe people need. So if anything, as you get older, I find, plus there's the health issues that come with getting older, uh, but the burdens just get greater. And so there's no escaping from it as long as you're in this world. But I think you guys probably know that because you see the need for Wednesday night church service. You know, uh, a lot of folks, some reason they think that they're going to, you know, get by uh, without issues and they don't cleave to the chance to bring their prayer request um, before their brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can hold them up in prayer and sing praises to our Lord, Brother Tim, thank you, and Lisa. And, uh, and then have a chance to worship our Lord and learn something. But, um, you know, the thing we have to look at, knowing that there's trials coming and being confident just from life experience that that's the truth, we need to look at what did the Lord do when trials came his way? He, we're supposed to be trying to get closer and closer to Christ, like, are we not? And he's our great example. Well, what, what did the Lord do here in these verses? 
he prayed. He, he found, he got away and he prayed. And um, so we noticed the, the thing about this prayer that uh, it was a lonely prayer. He even, he, he took aside his three favorite or favored, I would guess, uh, this better way to say, disciples, because Christ loves us all equally. But he, he left them and went a little further. And he had this time of prayer. And so as we get to thinking about this, you know, is family prayer a good thing? Yeah, it's a real good thing. And then like we just got through taking prayer requests in church. I mean, if you don't know your brothers and sisters' concerns, how do you know how to pray about them? You know, so it's, it's just very valuable to have this time of prayer at church. But when you're going through something really that's personal, that's deep, someone you care about's going through something or you're going through something, there is no substitution for your private devotion time with the Lord of time to escape from the problems, go somewhere very safe, and that's in the presence of your Father in heaven, and seek guidance and seek comfort and seek help, wisdom, direction. Um, the Holy Spirit can guide your heart and help you understand how to make decisions. Uh, God, you know, um, James tells us that, you know, God won't hold it back from you if you seek it. And uh, so the thing is, we need to realize that our private devotion time needs to be critical. We need to have that time when we get away. And let me ask you this. How many of you have just known ahead of time that the phone's going to ring in a few minutes and you're going to get bad news? You just don't know, do you? So what day can you cancel personal devotion time? You know, we just need to have it as part of our practice. But um, you also notice in our Lord's prayer that it was a humble prayer. Um, Luke says um, that he uh, knelt. Here in our scriptures it tells us that he fell on his face. Now I want you to think with me just a second. He's God. He's not just the son of God, but he's God the son. Think about that with me a little bit. And where did he place himself when he prayed to the father? On his face. You know, just think of the humility. He found himself in the form of man, and so he humbled himself, even, to, and I'm paraphrasing, but even to the point that he went to the cross for us. But the thing is, he was at this critical moment in his uh, ministry, in his life, just about to go to the cross for us. Everything that he had been intending to do since the moment he was born. And yet, during this time, he humbled himself and he, he prayed, he faced down to his heavenly father. Um, when you think about the fact that he's God and we're not, where should we find ourselves in time of prayer? You know, how many of us have, you know, I'm guilty, and I'll, I'll just say right out loud, that I'll be seriously praying about something, and then a thought comes in my head. 
And then I remember something I didn't finish at work. Yeah, anybody else ever been there? I mean, am I the only one that's ever been bad like that? No. The thing is that we need to remember whose very presence we're in when we're praying and try to be very focused. That's the reason prayer is hard and not too many people do it. They may do superficial prayers. They may go down a list or something. But the thing is, of really seriously praying is hard uh, because our mind is pulled in lots of different directions. And Satan is busy. And there can be just others that can create a distraction, different things that get our focus off. But we need to try to remember who we're in the very presence of. When we're praying, we're praying to the Father, we're praying to God Almighty, who spoke and worlds came into existence. Um, but go with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 16, Paul, I believe, right, it was the writer of the book of Hebrews, even though it's untitled uh, in that regard. But in verse 16 of chapter 4, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. That phrase, come boldly. Um, you know, here I've been talking recently, just in the last few minutes, about humility. And yet the scriptures tells us here to come boldly before the throne. But let's go back up and look at verse 14 of the same chapter. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. And that, and that profession could also be used as confession. In other words, your confidence in your salvation. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So then that first phrase in verse 16 that told us to come boldly before the Lord, look what it says, let us therefore. In other words, because of what those verses before said, we can come boldly. What did the verses before say? That we have a great high priest in heaven. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross for us and paid our sin debt so that the slate is clean. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Um, so why can I come boldly before the throne of grace? Because nothing to do with me. But the fact that I'm accepted in the beloved because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me. In other words, the humility needs to come from the fact that I always acknowledge I'm nothing without Christ. You know, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, comes down from heaven. 
And um, so we know that everything good about us, if there's anything good, it's imputed from God. It's a gift of God. In fact, if you, you know, we could go back and we could look at the scriptures uh, where it tells us that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, how come I'm the joint heir with Jesus Christ? Well, because David said in the Old Testament that blessed is the man who God refuses to impute iniquity. Now, the word impute just means to put on record. So God refuses to put on my record iniquity. Well, why? Okay. Then the other thing is, and Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. So Rick's best effort on his best day is what? Now, if I have filthy rags on my record, but God says he won't impute that. So absolutely nothing about Rick is on my record. There, there's not a single thing on my record in the judicial sense of God. There's not, you, you look at it, and there isn't anything about Rick. But what it also tells us, Paul tells us, is that God has imputed the very righteousness of Christ onto our record. In other words, God looks at Rick Morse's name, and he says he raised people from the dead, he healed the, blind, or healed the sick, he healed the blind, all the things that Christ did have been imputed to my record because if there was anything about Rick on there, it'd be sinful. And then Rick couldn't go to heaven. And that's the reason we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. But the thing is, when Rick gets to heaven, Rick's going to know why he's allowed because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. As reason the scriptures tell us, we'll throw our crowns at his feet. We'll know why we're there. Now, we will give an account for what we did in the flesh after salvation at the judgment seat of Christ as far as receiving rewards or not receiving rewards. But in the judicial sense of God, my record's clean because it was all on Christ. It was all paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so my judicial record, am I guilty of sin or not, was Rick a sinner? Yeah. But God refuses to put it to record because, not because God's unholy to be negligent, but it's already been paid for. But it was paid for by my precious Lord Jesus Christ. So the thing for us to remember is, we can come boldly before the throne of grace because we have access, but we have access because of what Jesus did for us. So, so just I'm just trying to get us across something. You never have to be afraid that God isn't on your side because, first of all, did God know what we, how we were going to mess up before he ever created this? Did he know that his son Jesus would have to come and take on flesh and go to that terrible cross to have a relationship with us? Did he? He did. And guess what? He thought it was worth it. In other words, you're loved that much. 
and you don't have to not be concerned about not being allowed to come to the throne of grace. That's the reason Paul said you can come boldly. But he also, before that, wanted us to realize why we can come boldly. Because you're loved. You're loved so much that God not only created you, but he knew he'd have to buy you back out of the slave pens of sin. And so Christ paid the price on the cross of Calvary. There should be great comfort and confidence that comes from that. Your God that spoke and worlds came into existence loved you enough that even before the foundations of the world, this plan was already struck. And he loves you so much, that's the reason you have access to the throne. But when you get there, you're not going to have to fight to try to get the Lord's attention. He loves you. He is your heavenly father. He's adopted you into his family uh, he's made you a joint heir with his precious son, Jesus Christ. Go with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. This is probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And uh, we'll look at verse 15, where Paul again writing says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. In other words, I've messed, say something's happened, I've messed it up royally. I, you know, I lost my temper, I said things I shouldn't have said, I was having a bad day. I've, I've created a riff in some relationships. I've done something. But I don't have to fear to go before my heavenly father. He knew all that was on the cross when Jesus died. All of that was in God's foreknowledge when he loved me enough to send people my way, to invite me to church. The Holy Spirit, uh, those people allowed the Holy Spirit to use them to love on me bring me to the uh, point where through the preaching of the word and the Holy Spirit conviction, I came to the saving knowledge of Christ and God made me one of his kids and he would know that in the future, after all this training, all this work with you, you did this. He knew it. And so I can still come boldly before the throne of grace asking for help, asking for wisdom, asking for the forgiveness of sin. Because it tells us here in verse 15 again, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba is like daddy. It'd be, it'd, it was the Hebrew word for daddy. And so what you're basically, how many of you ever thought of calling God the Father daddy? The scripture says you can. He's your daddy. He loves you. And he's a perfect daddy. You know, it doesn't, and so the thing is, that's the reason you have access, but claim your access through adoption. In other words, you, you go boldly before the throne of grace, and, you know, like I said, we mess up. I mean, let's just put it that way. When we were kids, did you ever mess up? 
Yeah, you know, and then eventually it was just better to go confess up because they were probably going to find out about it anyway. Now, how many of us hung back and waited until they found it? Which way usually worked out better for you? Confessing up or waiting until they found it and then come get you? You know, but, you know, the thing is, our Heavenly Father, he, he has so proven how much he loves us, and we have the privilege that we can call him Daddy. We can go to him with that type of tenderness. He's going to approach us with that kind of tenderness. And so we can plead our adoption. Um, and the thing is, within that comfort that I'm trying to get across to you, it's a stronghold. And it's a stronghold in the way of, like we talked about trials. How many of you ever found usually your trials don't go away in one day? In other words, sometimes they hang on for a season, don't they? There is no better place to fight from than a stronghold. If the enemy's coming, I don't want to be out in the open. I'd rather be in a nice stronghold to defend myself from, and there's no safer place to be than to be in the presence of your Father in heaven who's got the power to speak and just clean things up or lead you by the hand through that trial because it may be for our betterment. A lot of times circumstances would never nudge us in a certain direction, but then we find there's great blessings in that direction. But left our own devices, we never would have gone there because it was out of our comfort zone. And so God sends something our way that shoves us forcefully sometimes in a certain direction. And then after a while, we realize what a blessing it was for us. And so that adoption, pleading your adoption that God is your father, he's your daddy, it's a stronghold and it's a refuge, it's a safe place to fight from. Uh, because the enemy usually doesn't just quit coming. But you, how many would sleep better if you knew there was enemies out there looking for you, like in the old days? How many of you would lay your head down on a pillow better out in the open field or inside a stronghold? Which one would you feel a little safer at? I think I'd like the stronghold. Uh, but the thing is, we have that privilege by going through. But the key is, the key phrase in that verse, let me get back to it. it, it let me find my spot again. Now go with me to verse 37 first. In the same chapter. In verse 37, Paul writes, Nay, in all these things ye are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now, if you got to be a conqueror, what does that indicate? Pardon? Fighting. There's a struggle going on of some kind, or you wouldn't wind up being the, the conqueror. So there's something out there you're having to fight. You're, you know, it's a struggle of some kind that you're going through. But he says that we're more than conquerors. In other words, even though there is a struggle, we'll eventually come out the winning side. 
Now, I've shared this before, and it's, it's the truth. And I, we were at the Villas Ministry one time, we, and I got, had gotten diagnosed with cancer, and they weren't sure exactly how it was going to work out if they got it and everything, and it had metastasized somewhere else. If it had, they didn't have a cure for it. And I'd have about 18 months to live. And that went on for some period of time. And uh, this one lady at the villa said, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. The Lord's going to take care of you. And I go, I agree. But he also took care of John the Baptist. Now, what happened to John the Baptist? He lost his head. But guess what? He went to heaven. You know, the thing is, we don't know exactly how it's going to work out on the other side. But we know we win. If you're saved, you win. That lady looked at me and said, you really believe like that? And I go, is it in the scriptures? And she just, she just always wanted to believe it just always works out. Well, I believe you have a heavenly father who is so loving, you've got immediate access to him if you'll just go. We ought to go humbly. We can go boldly. In other words, we know we're going to be welcome. So we don't have to worry about that side. But we ought to go humbly because we know it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what Jesus did for me. And so that humble spirit, but then when you get before the Father, give him cause and just remind him the promises that he's made in the scriptures. Call him, Daddy, I need help. And, and just move on. But we know that we're going to be more than conquerors. The scriptures tell us this. There is going to be a struggle. We're going to come out eventually, though, on the winning side. It could be we, we win when we get to heaven. Most of us in the flesh would rather, well, let's, let's get some winning now, and, you know, and maybe the rapture will happen, and I'll avoid this other stuff. But we're not promised that, but we are promised that we'll win and that we have a loving heavenly Father that should be that fortress, that place of peace in your heart that you can have by going to the Father in prayer and approaching that throne boldly, knowing you're welcome, but you do it knowing why you're welcome, not puffed up with self, because that'll certainly defeat the purpose. But we notice that in this verse where we're more than conquerors, the key phrase in that deal is at the end, right there where it says we're more than conquerors through him. Um, that loved us. You know, you've heard me probably say at least 20 times since I've been up here and maybe more that word love. If we can wrap our heads around how much we're loved by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it can give us confidence, not in self, but in them, because they loved us so much. We see that it was also back in our text that uh, originally in Matthew uh, 26 that Jesus, it, it was a persevering prayer. He prayed three different times. We only read one of the three accounts of him praying that basically the same prayer. Um, so don't give up in prayer. 
continue to go to the Lord in prayer. We had the parable where the uh, lady went to before the unjust judge and by the judge finally said, I don't care about this lady or doing right or wrong, but she's pestering me. So I'm going to give her what she wants so she'll go away. Well, we have a lot better heavenly father to go to, and uh, but we ought to be uh, persevering in our prayers. We ought to continue. Jesus prayed that night three different times. And then uh, something I've heard Brother uh, Kenneth talk about many times, he tries to give God reasons, especially when he's praying for other people, because they've been busy in this ministry, because they love the Lord and they do this, they do that. And if you'll restore their health or if you'll do whatever is needed so they can be freed up to get back to doing what they love to do for you, Lord. So give the Lord reasons. One of the things that David said in the Psalms, David said that he could not give God glory in the grave. In other words, he had enemies after him and they were trying to kill him. And he was asking God for his protecting hand, and he gave God a reason. I can't give you any glory in the grave. And so he asked for God's help. So there's an example. Give God reasons. And then lastly, his was a prayer of resignation. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know, let it be as God wills, and God will determine for the best. Um, like I said, I've already shared with you, you know, about the fact of how much it, you know, if I was sitting here and I was sitting here saying, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we have one God, but he's a trinity, three personalities, three persons. And, well, let's make man. But God knows everything, but they're going to mess up. And to have any type of relationship with them, we're going to have to redeem them. And that means a perfect man is going to have to be a sacrifice because the, the punishment for sin is death. Now, if you, we were starting this discussion as individuals, we were going to do a business kind of thing or something, and I bring it up. And you point out to me how it'll go broke in the first 30 days and we'll lose all of our life savings. How many would vote that we continue with the project? You know, why would, why would they go ahead with this decision to create us? It's because they want a relationship with us. When you have a little two-year-old, what can that two-year-old do for you? What can they do for you? They can't do nothing for you. Except for look up, see that your mom or your dad, and they smile. And, and that makes whatever you have to do for them worth it, doesn't it? God wants a relationship. I use a two-year-old because God spoke and worlds were created, and I know how limited I am. Why did he want a relationship with me? But he did. And he paid for it with his very, Jesus paid for it with his blood. And then the Holy Spirit came to reside in me. And since I've been saved, I haven't always been the sweet little saint that I ought to be. 
And I've taken the Holy Spirit right there with me. Think what a trip that's been for him. He's God. He's perfect. And think of where our thought lives have taken him and where everything else we've done. And yet he loved me enough that he wooed me to the saving knowledge of Christ. And so just think of how much love it has taken for us to get to this point tonight where we're sitting in here, hopefully all of us saved, and we're all on our road to heaven, and we're loved, and that's the reason we can leave things with God. Trust him to take care of it. He, he's, he loves you too much to not take care of it. But he needs to know that at the end of the day, you'll acknowledge that he did it. How did that, how does that happen? Because you started out knowing you needed his help absolutely. You knew you could only get access to him because of what he's already done for you. And so self has to take a back seat. Now I'll share with you something. Why do, I got a feeling a lot of Christians have a problem praying like we ought to. You know why I think it is? We don't like to have to ask permission. We'd like to be our own little free agents. Does anyone else think like that? Does anyone else have a little pride with it, problem with it, pride like I do? And to take everything before the Lord, it says to pray uh, without ceasing. In other words, issues keep coming up and you just keep praying, Lord, give me wisdom, give me wisdom. Why do we not do that? Well, I think a lot of it is I don't really want to have to ask permission. I just want to be my own little free agent. And then I go dig a hole somewhere and I get myself in trouble and I get humbled and I go before my Heavenly Father properly and, and ask for the help and he's always there. But the thing is we need to just realize to be content to leave your prayers in his hands. He knows when, how, and what to give. Um, I'll share one. I've used this example once before a couple of years ago, but I, I want to use it again tonight. When we do pray, and we're praying sincerely, but the thing is we don't know tomorrow. And we don't know why God is making this last longer than it's lasting. But I've used illustration before of Joseph when he was in the prison. He'd probably been there at least 10 years or more by this time. And the baker and the butler both had dreams. They had been thrown into prison. And they were troubled by this vision that they had. And Joseph interpreted their visions for them. One was that the baker in three days was going to have his head chopped off. And the other one, the butler, was going to get restored to his job of being Pharaoh's butler. And Joseph asked the butler to remember him and to point out to Pharaoh the injustice that he'd been thrown in his prison wrongfully. Now, do you think Joseph probably prayed about that after that happened. God helped the butler do this. God helped the butler do this. Now, what if the butler had remembered within a week and told Pharaoh, and Pharaoh agreed it was totally unjust, so he ordered Joseph to be freed, 
And Joseph got to go home. Now remember, his brothers had sold him into slavery, then killed a lamb, took his coat, smeared blood all over it, took that coat back to their father and asked him if he could identify it. And he had been living for these 12 or more years at this time because he was with Potiphar for a period of time and then he was in the dungeon, had believed that his son was dead, had been killed by some wild animal. And all the while, it was just because they'd sold him into... Now, think with me a little bit. Joseph goes back. Now, what does Joseph think of these last 12 years? How, how would he hold what these last 12 years have been like to him? Maybe lost years? Wasted years? Stolen years? Stolen from me? What would daddy have thought about all of his other kids that they had conspired and let him all this time think that and a wild animal had killed his son. What would it have done to the fabric of that family? It just would have tore it to pieces. And then they would have all died of starvation when the drought came. But the thing is, in God's perfect timing, about two years later, Pharaoh had a vision Pharaoh didn't, uh, and the butler remembered that Joseph could answer, interpret visions. He brought Joseph out of the dungeon. He interpreted the vision that there was going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of drought. And so then he made Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. And Joseph stuck away all the food and then later when the drought came and he got reintroduced to his brothers, he was able to bring his father and all the family back down to Egypt and take care of them and nourish them through. Even at a time once Joseph found out what his sons, or take that back, um, Jacob had found out what his sons had done to his son and let him thought all these years they were dead, he could now see that it was for their salvation physical salvation and it just didn't tear the fabric of the family up and joseph now being prime minister certainly didn't think all these years were wasted years he probably would have wished he hadn't gone through what he went through but he saw how god used it so the thing is we have these preconceived ideas of exactly how god ought to answer our prayer but we can trust to leave it in his hands because of all the things we've studied before, and that is how much we're loved. We have access to the throne that we can come boldly, but it's not because of self. And if we'll just do it, be persistent, take our trials to the Lord, knowing just how much you're loved. And if you remember how much you're loved, it's going to give you confidence. And that's that stronghold that you can sit as faithfully as possible and fight through the trials that this life is going to throw at us. Amen. And I hope you, uh, I was a blessing. Brother Tim, could I get you to close this in a word of prayer?